electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. Today on Squawk Pod. The big jobs, jobs, jobs report. The number of jobs added to our economy in September, 263,000. Not great, not terrible, but a signal to the Fed nonetheless. And geopolitics in the oil patch, Russia, Saudi Arabia, Venezuela, and how the United States is juggling it all. Michelle Caruso Cabrera, member of the Council on Foreign Relations, breaks down our energy strategy. This is all about making sure that we have other supplies in our national interest, that we've learned a lesson here about increasing the number of barrels on the market. Those stories plus a cannabis pardon, crunching the numbers on Twitter, and many of us are back in the office. Kind of. So what now? Tips for making the most of your hybrid work arrangement with workplace expert and Harvard professor Sadal Neely. Presence management is the sense that you are around, in sync and in touch. It's Friday, October 7th, 2022, and Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one, cure please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We're live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. First up on today's podcast, the September jobs report. The number of jobs added to our economy last month. All right, here we go. Non-farm payrolls for the month of September on the big jobs, jobs, jobs report, 263,000. 263 is a little less than economists were expecting. The unemployment rate fell, though, to 3.5%, which indicates a tight labor market. It was a not-so-bad, not-so-good report, all in all. Now, some context. As a reminder, we just wrapped up a pretty terrible third quarter, and honestly, a pretty terrible September market performance-wise. The Fed has been resolute in its effort to bring down inflation by raising interest rates, and they're prepared to keep on hiking. With a tight labor market, as today's report suggested, the Fed will stay its aggressive course, most likely. And that's largely what investors are expecting. But Naveen's CIO, Sarah Malik, says there's still a long road ahead. I don't think we're out of the woods yet. The market's key concern is going to be Q3 earnings, which is coming right up. I guess you'll just have to keep listening to Squawk Pod to find out. Cannabis stocks uh, surged, you know, if you're really that worried, uh, now you don't have to worry about that simple possession. Surged more than 30% yesterday after President Biden pardoned thousands of people who've been convicted of, uh, convicted of simple marijuana possession, called on the governors of the country to follow suit. The pardon comprises 6,500 people um, federally, federal convictions, a couple more thousand in Washington, D.C., because that's the part of this purview, uh, but many more in, in uh throughout the states, and we'll see whether governors go along. It's popular uh, in terms of polling. The president also instructed his attorney general and HHS secretary to review how marijuana is classified under a federal drug laws. You know, it's getting immediate, uh, you know, there's an election in November. 
not for the president, but, but uh, there is an election. And Republicans saying that a lot of these convictions aren't just simple possession. There were some other things going on, which I don't know. I mean, this is, it's fulfilling a campaign promise to, to move through and do it, but it reminds yeah. me of the student debt stuff. Instead of actually trying to find a way to work legislation that goes through Congress, you take this action that, that, that is yeah. going to relieve the pressure for a swath of people, but it sets up the expectation that there are going to be a lot of people who don't get uh, relief from this pardon who are then mad about it. It's right. the expectation. But again, this is what we've seen over the last several presidential um, uh, administrations where executive orders are used yeah. to do things that you would not have imagined in the past. In, in a perfect world, you would ask yourself, should anyone be in jail for possession of pot? You'd say, no, probably not. Hardened criminals going, th you know, we've all seen it. We've all seen what the prison shows on, on some network and it's like, wow, just simple possession and you're in with, with that group, yeah. doing more harm than good. But again, Probably. I, I, it's so just, you need to be separated from society because you smoke pot. You're just sitting in your house, right? This pardons a lot of people who were caught up before it was legalized in a lot of states. It's not legal everywhere right now. Yeah. But, again, but we're headed are, that way. These are just moves around instead of actually taking some sort of congressional action where you can say this is the law of the land now. And so I think that's the to, thing that kind of caught my You don't have to drive to Taco Bell. I mean, there's Uber Eats. You, you don't even have to leave, right? True. Your house. Right. So there's no driving under, under the influence. Well, except for we don't know that. There's well, right. Do. I know. How do you test for that? That's the, you can't. That's the that's one thing that, that gets yeah. me. Me too. And <laughs> just knowing what I know about it, it's not that you're worried about people going 80. Too slow. It's you're worried about people going 20 and other people who aren't high are going 80. That's the problem because people you know, you are so worried. Just fix it. Everybody gets it. <laughs> right. Also new this morning. Let's talk about uh, Credit Suisse for a second, because that bank, describing it as a troubled bank, offering to buy back up to $3 billion worth of debt securities as it tries to navigate what has been a plunging share price and a rise in bets against its debt. The Swiss lender also confirming that it's selling its famous Savoy Hotel in Zurich's financial district. That's sparking some speculation that is scrambling for liquidity. Now, in a statement earlier today about the debt repurchase, the bank said transactions are consistent with our proactive approach to manage our overall liability composition and guys i think you're going to see over the next couple of weeks frankly a whole number of dispositions part of the in fact plan was for them to sell different businesses if it, i think what you'd like to do is sell those businesses ahead of the 27th if in fact this you know mystical 27th day which is the day that they're going to announce earnings but also announce the restructuring it's not that you just want to announce we are pursuing a restructuring you want to say we did this, we did this, we did this, we did this. So I think you may see a trickle of this news. We kept talking on Monday about whether you actually get to the 27th because people get so anxious about why you're doing all these things. I think they've telegraphed to the market that they are going to be doing all these but things. I, so I'm surprised that people are surprised. That's why I think there's the trickle of news here. But that's the 27th and the 28th is the deadline for the Twitter deal to be done. Oh, big stuff coming up in the next three weeks. Mark your calendars. Yeah. They're in pretty good shape, right? I mean, capital-wise, yes. it's not yes. weird. I, and it could get worse. I know, I understand that things get marked, but this doesn't seem like it's, uh, is it, they're going to have to issue stock? So that's why the stock's down where it is? Or No, I think the concern is that people get worried about all of that. And then if you're, because really what it is, it's a wealth management business, that if you have an account there, we talked about this, and it's, it's the thing you're trying to avoid, is you want those wealth management uh, clients to stay 
and keep their money at the firm. Now on to the latest on Elon Musk's deal to buy Twitter. Yesterday, a Delaware Chancery Court judge ruled that Musk has until October 28th to close his acquisition of Twitter if he wants to avoid a trial. Earlier in the day, Musk asked Twitter to end all litigation in order to close the deal. Twitter refused, calling Musk's proposal an invitation to further mischief and delay, basically thinking this is going to be Lucy once again pulling the football away from Charlie Brown before the deal gets done. Um, you can look at this as a win for Elon Musk from the judge, but I wouldn't. I mean, I think if you look at it a little more closely on what the judge actually ruled, it's kind of brilliant. And I will give this out to the Chancery Daily, which is a great Twitter um, account that I follow. And she was dead on on this, on, on the next leg down on this. Basically, the judge's ruling, if you read it, was very brief, said, OK, you said you're going to close this deal that you want to abide by the terms of the deal that you signed earlier this year. That's great. I will give you until October 28th at 5 p.m. If you can't, this is going to move forward. But there's something called judicial estoppel, which I had never heard of before, which says you can't make an argu argument that contradicts a previous position you took that persuaded the court to act and that it used as a basis for that. So basically, Twitter's, Elon Musk is not going to be able to come back and say, never mind, I can't do this deal because I can't get financing, because she said you said you were going to do it based on the terms of the original agreement. It's a different world yeah. in terms of high yield, but everybody has to deal with that. Some of those other deals aren't great, right? The Nielsen, some of the other ones, their bank, bankers are losing their butts I, I read the I read the, the tweet stream yeah. uh, that she had. I, thought it was very a very smart. Smart, I think it's a very smart analysis. I think there's another side to it, which is... And it's the argument that he will make if he doesn't pursue the deal, which is that there is this sort of, and some people think it's funky language, and some people don't think it's funky language. I read the language. Around, around the financing piece of it. Do the, to me, the question right now is, do the banks walk? Okay, are they allowed? They can't. Well, I mean, they could do a lot of things. There are a lot of things people think you can't do, but the question is, do they try? What kind of reputational damage reputational would they damage. have? And if a judge actually rules against this in the Delaware court, are um, the banks then going to say up yours to the Delaware court, which is what they'd be doing if she rules against them in three weeks? Possibly. But the question is, I don't think that, that they would be in trouble with her. They would be in trouble with him and they would be in trouble reputationally if you right. believe they would be in trouble reputationally at all. And so that to me, there's, I think there is, there's still a dance here. I, I, I'm, I'm I relatively it, in agreement yeah. that, you know, this puts Elon Musk in a box well, by I, default. I, at least in but terms this, of the Delaware court. With I the court. I don't, and, but, and, and by the way, in that documentation, you notice that he said, that his lawyers said, it would be faster to do it this way than for us to go through the Delaware court and then appeal to the Supreme Court and wait for that appeal, too. They, that the shareholders would get paid faster, faster than going right. through the entire thing, basically saying they're going to appeal if they lose. Right. But the question, but I still think, look, do you really think that he's just going to close his eyes and say, okay, guys, we're just, we're, we're closing this on the 28th? Mm -mm. No. So what do we think is going to happen between now and then? Something. And I would argue it, it, it will ultimately have to do with the financing piece. But the financing piece will be, if it is about a negotiation, it's going to be around what leverage does he have? The only leverage he still has at this point is the financing. And so then the question is, will the banks help him with that? Will they not help him with that leverage? What does that look like? What does a court think of that? 
to me, that's the sort of next leg of this whole but the, the, dance. What I will say is the two filings yesterday and then the judge's ruling on it made it pretty clear that the financing, as you just said, is the key point. And that's the one that he's saying, OK, I might not have to do it because of the financing aspect. And the judge coming back and kind of nailing it. And her statement was really brief. Basically, I don't think there's any doubt that she's going to rule against him on the financing oh, I've question. Always thought, I've always thought that. But the question is, could he try to then pursue that path and then appeal. Appeal, right. And, and, and in the filing yesterday, it made it clear that they're going to appeal. So it, it does muddy the whole water for me. But it, it's just like kind of brilliant back and forth. on. You what could even tie it to the, the jobs report today. I mean, if, if we have, a, <laughs> you could. See, we have a really hard landing. It's going to be, they could lose more than a half a, a billion dollars. If it's, if we're already almost there and it's going to be a soft landing, maybe high yield doesn't get crushed to the extent that, I mean, you could almost tie it. Uh, I'll, I'll connect it even more. It, yeah. If he buys the company, thousands and thousands and thousands of people will lose their jobs. <laughs> the current and staff. if he keeps the company, or if the company remains independent, prob probably either not. Way, Actually, it, probably either way, a lot of people lose e their jobs. Either way, though, these banks are in for a world of hurt, don't you think? Oh, that's, there's no question. And that's why, by the way, Across the board with all these deals, right? But it's, I wonder whether if you're a bank in this environment, you stand up and you say, look, this whole thing was so screwed up, so screwed up. And, we, and, and whether they want his business for other things, whether other clients... It's not just his business. No, no, it's whether it's, other yeah. clients say, oh, well, then you're not really yeah. good for the money. I can't imagine a bank I don't would know. risk that. Because, look, this is the situation anytime you go into a downturn. The last deal you agreed to is going to be lousy, lousy metrics. Cheese will be next. Up next on Squawk Pod, OPEC Plus cutting output and the U.S. responding with an oil move of its own. Venezuelan oil output might be getting a boost. The trade-offs and the politics with Council on Foreign Relations member and former CNBC anchor Michelle Caruso Cabrera. We're not talking about a wholesale lifting of sanctions on Venezuela. We're talking about one specific license, but whether or not they allow Chevron to do more than what Chevron already does right now. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Up and Andrew, Hugh. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC Live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Becky Quick and Joe Kernan. WTI crude oil uh, up 12% this week. It's on pace for its best week in more than six months. The big catalyst, a 2 million barrel per day production cut from OPEC+. Plus. Now the Biden administration reportedly looking at easing sanctions on Venezuela an effort to get more oil flowing. Join us right now, Michelle Caruso Cabrera, a member of the Council on Foreign Relations, a CNBC contributor. Is this going to change the dynamic at all? 
for an oil, not in, the, not in the near term. So first of all, let's talk, it's not, we're not talking about a wholesale lifting of sanctions on Venezuela. We're talking about one right. specific license by the Office of Foreign Asset Control, OFAC, but whether or not they allow Chevron to do more than what Chevron already does right now, which is maintain some fields that they have there. Right. If that were to happen, you get maybe immediately another 50,000 barrels worth of oil on the international market of 100 million barrels, so it isn't very much. Maybe 100,000 to 300,000 over the next year, depending on how much money they invest, et cetera. There's a lot we don't know about the contract. Uh, but this would be done in exchange for Maduro agreeing to sit down with the opposition for free and fair elections. And also the other goal would be to not push them into the arms right. of the Russian and get them out of the Western Hemisphere. How talking about Russians, how much are you in the camp of OPEC, Saudi, is in bed with Russia, snubbing their nose at Biden, it's ahead of the midterms, it's all part of some kind of political uh, uh, view of trying to change the dynamic. I mean, do you believe that? Oh, I, I think absolutely that this was absolutely meant to be a message to President Biden from Saudi Arabia and, and BS. I, I don't have any doubt about that. Um, I think and, what and the message being? You know, you don't treat us very well. You know, you should treat us treat us better. But but, but it's not a message of I. You know, I want Trump in office versus. Biden. I mean, the question that. But look, that's that's what's out there in the ether. Right, right, right. No, I mean, I I think th this leak about uh, something that's been ongoing now for months, ever since Russia invaded Ukraine. Right, that's when we sent. Uh, three administration officials right. down to Venezuela, including a member of the National Security Council, in order to start talking with Maduro. This is all about making sure that we have other supplies in our national interest, to make sure we have other supplies coming down the road, that we've learned a lesson here about increasing the number of barrels on the market. Right. Uh, and at the same time, we've got Russia in Venezuela. Let's get them out of there, is, is the rationale for it. Amos Hochstein, the special envoy from the White House, his take was this was premature. There's nothing to announce yet. Right. Uh, did not deny that they've been right. having conversations about they, this they and couldn't. that Chevron's been, been involved. It's been so, yeah. so public. Yeah, no, Chevron's been asking for this for years, right? Um, and so uh, all, the, all the statements that you heard yesterday were always conditional, right? We've got to have something out of the Maduro regime. They've got to agree to sit down and negotiate about free and fair elections. And, and so that's the bottom line. That's what we're, we're waiting to see. Now, if this license does get approved, then you start asking, will other licenses get approved? Uh, Francisco Minaldi uh, out of Rice University, who I think is one of the best analysts on oil out of Venezuela, says that if Venezuela were Texas, they'd be producing 10 million barrels of oil per day. Remember, right now, Venezuela is producing 700,000 barrels of oil per day. In the early 90s, they were producing 3.4. They had plans to go up to 6 million barrels per day until Hugo Chavez came to power and said, why would we add more oil to the market? That only depresses the price. Can I just go back to the, yeah. the Saudi-Russia yeah, yeah, situation? Yeah. What do you think, what, what leverage do you think the U.S. has over Saudi? And, and to the extent there's a message from Saudi to the U.S., what are they saying they want in exchange? And they're not going to get, probably, unless you think they are. Oh, the, the, the leverage is that we're a, a huge buyer, right? I mean, look at all the threats that uh, are happening right now coming out of Congress about, you know, the NOPEC, charging them under uh, the Sherman Antitrust Act. And, but I mean, do you think that changes as a result of this for the good to them? You're talking about does this change as a result of Venezuela or what? No, 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 no. I'm talking Saudi, Saudi. Do, you know, I can't get into the mind of MBS uh, and what's going on there. I mean, OPEC is driven by what Saudi Arabia wants, right? Right, and I'm trying to understand what Saudi wants and what they think they can get by doing this if, in fact, you think this is a political 
maneuver. Look, historically, Saudi Arabia has been a strong ally of the United States, and I think they want to be treated as such as they have been historically. Uh, verbiage from the administration, et cetera, matching what, what they have grown accustomed to over time. And do you think that this gets them that? Because I think it might get them the opposite of that. You mean go Venezuela? Yes. Uh, Venezuela is a you know, member of OPEC. So I, I think the interest of the United States right now is how do we think about long-term national security in terms of oil supplies, right. and why would we want the Russians and the Iranians in Venezuela? Michelle Cruz Cabrera, thank, thank you. you. Nice to see you. Still to come on Squawk Pod, so you're back in the office. Sort of. The new post-pandemic office etiquette, what matters to your bosses, what doesn't, and how much autonomy employees actually have. Workplace culture scientist Jessica Kriegel. I think that the more elevated managers are understanding that culture is not created in the four walls of your office. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Squawk Pod from CNBC with Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Orkin. Here's Becky. With concerns of a recession and possible layoffs in the next year, we've got some do's and don'ts from the work, work culture experts on how to manage your career. Joining us right now is Sadal Neely. She's a professor at Harvard Business School and the author of The Digital Mindset, What It Really Takes to Thrive in the Digital Age of Data, Algorithms, and AI. Also, Jessica Kriegel is chief scientist at Workplace Culture at Culture Partners. And uh, why don't we start with you, Jessica? What are people doing right now that is right? And what are they doing that's wrong? Because I've heard a lot of stories where I kind of scratch my head, where I hear about uh, the, this kind of one foot in, one foot out. Yeah, well, I think everyone is a little bit confused because we have both a staffing shortage and we're about to have mass layoffs because everyone is afraid about the recession and inflation. So we have to remember that life is still, we are in a meritocracy. And in order to get ahead, you need to be able to understand the value that you bring to an organization. And you're not going to get a promotion based on how long you've been with an organization or whether you're willing to go into the office or not. You're going to get a promotion if you have specific things that you have contributed, the value that you have and examples of how you've done that. And you're able to present it to your manager. So knowing exactly what your manager wants and producing that is the key. Yes, and I would, I would say we all are kind of looking at this as a changed workplace, that nobody's going back entirely to the way it was before. But the reality is, who gets a raise, who gets promoted? Those are subjective de decisions that are made by managers. And knowing what your manager cares about, if they want you in the office, and that's what a lot of them want right now, how do you operate around that? 
you have to ensure that uh, you are always present, whether you're in the office in person or on video. We call this presence management. Presence management is the sense that you are around, in sync, and in touch. So some do's, you have to show up on anchor days, the days that your managers have set for people to come together. You have to be present. You have to contribute to a collaborative culture. Other do's, send updates on work tasks uh, periodically. Don't wait. Because of a hybrid schedule, we don't see people all the time. We need to make sure that work is feeling like it's moving forward. And finally, managers know that uh, talent management is not about whether there's a recession or not and that we lead because their fears or not. You have to create a work culture where people show up when necessary, whether on video or in person, in order to feel like we're all there, we're all moving in the right direction, and of course, we're also bringing value. Hey, Jessica, you, you mentioned that we're in this weird place where it's a strong jobs market right now, but we think things are changing. And Sadal just led to this idea that, OK, you have to manage your talent. We all like to think that we're talent. We all like to think we're indispensable. Are we going to find out that we're not, all of us, the, those highly coveted workers when the jobs market really does turn? Yeah, I think that some of us will find that out. I completely agree with everything that she said about being present, but there is a limit. You can take it too far. Being too present, being too focused on being visible can lead to burnout. And we're also <laughs> seeing the effects of that. That's the great resignation is people push themselves too far. They took productivity to its extreme. And now here we are with people saying, forget it, I'm not going to work. And that's another problem. So while we do need to be present, we also need to have boundaries and we need to be able to take vacation and when we're on vacation, actually unplug and be completely not present where we just don't even check email. Managers too, they need to role model that behavior for their employees so everyone knows it's okay to check out. So Sadal, let me ask you one more question. You make the point that you need to be able to come up with a list of things that you've done, or maybe Jessica made that point. You need to kind of be in their face to say, hey, I've done this, this is what I'm doing, this is what's going on. Is there a point where you just become too annoying I don't want to hear from you again. I don't want you in my office 12 times a day. I don't want you popping up on my screen from home 12 times a day to tell me how awesome you are and how hard you're working. That would be a good problem to have today. When I talk to managers, companies across industries, they say, I look around and I have empty offices that we've mandated for people to return to the office, to be physically present, and people are still pushing back and resisting. So that's not the problem that we're facing today. And no one has time. What I'm talking about is not performative. What I'm talking about in terms of being visible and present is in order to feel like you are collaborating like you are present for clients, like you are present for your organization and the culture of your organization. So this is not anything about extremes. This is trying to get to the average point where managers are struggling uh, to do today. Mm -hmm. Jessica, it seems to me that in the era of COVID, building a team got even harder than it was before. It's hard to feel connected. It's hard to feel like you're part of a team when nobody's around. Um, is there a point where managers are going to be able to reassert and say, we are a team, you have to come together, you have to be a team player? 
Otherwise, it doesn't yes, work. Yes, it- that's happening already. People are having these mandates to come back into the office. But I think that the more elevated managers are understanding that culture is not created in the four walls of your office, that it's created in the experiences that we share, which shape our beliefs. And those beliefs determine the actions we take. And that's what gets us results. Our research shows that the strongest cultures, the number one predictor of culture is actually clarity of results. So as long as managers are being clear on what it is that their employees need to accomplish and employees get that message and there is that back and forth, we can co-create experiences over text. We can do it over Zoom. We've been doing it. The companies that are thriving have figured out how to make it work from home. And I think a lot of employees have responded to that. So a clear mission statement, a clear message from the top about what you need to do. Maybe that is the most important issue right now. Yeah, purpose alignment. I think culture fit is a myth. If anything, it's just an opportunity for unconscious bias to come into the workplace. I'm scrapping culture fit as an idea. Let's call that dead. We need to replace that with purpose alignment. What is your purpose? How do you go for that in your life? And does it align with your organization's purpose? That's what's going to ensure the most tenure between employees and employers. I mean, there's there's a lot of fancy word, but I'm going to boil that down to, look, here's what you got to do. Here's how you do it then you tell the boss, yes, I am delivering on those things that you have very clearly messaged me. I mean, that's like old school stuff. I just wanted to underscore this idea of elevated managers. I couldn't agree more with that. The idea that managers have to level up in terms of understanding how to lead teams and a workforce uh, from a distance is incredibly important. And these are skills, actual skills that people have to learn, as opposed to trying to apply the pre-COVID 2019 ways of leading and managing to today's uh, new world of work. Understood. Sadal, Jessica, want to thank you both. Uh, It's going to be interesting times as the job market shifts. That does it for our podcast today and for the week. Thanks for sticking with us. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. To get the best of our three-hour TV show in a 30-minute podcast right into your ears, follow Squawk Pod wherever you're listening now. You can even follow us on Twitter and get the highlights from our show. We're at Squawk CNBC. We'll meet you back here on Monday. Have a beautiful weekend. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. FedEx.